This is Gil Manser welcoming you to what has become an annual tradition on KRCB-FM's Word-by-Word Conversations with Writers, a show featuring writers who are part of the current year's Sonoma County Book Festival. My guests, food explorer and radio show host Marcy Smothers, mystery writer Sue Olson-McCullough, and grammarian Arlene Miller and I are doing presentations at different times during the SoCo Book Fest to be held Saturday, September 21st, on the campus of the Santa Rosa Junior College. Before we begin, let's hear a little more detail about our guests. Marcy Smothers is a popular broadcaster who has worked in both KSRO and KGO. She hosted The Food Guy and Marcy's show with Guy Fieri before publishing the book she will share with us tonight, Snacks, Adventures in Food, Aisle by Aisle. Marcy says one of the highlights of her culinary career was serving as the mayonnaise queen for KRCB's mouthful host, Michelle Anna Jordan, when they built the world's largest BLT. Sue Olson McCullough has just finished writing a suspense novel about a mother whose 13-year-old daughter runs away from home, leaving a trail based on the runaway bunny. The novel is set in Stockholm, Sweden, where McCullough recently lived before returning to Santa Rosa. Arlene Miller, a.k.a. the Grammar Diva, teaches English, edits and conducts grammar and business writing workshops and is also the author of the best little grammar book ever, Beyond Worksheets, Creative Ways to Teach Grammar, and Correct Me If I'm Wrong, which sounds like a NPR show somehow. She was formerly a newspaper reporter and editor, technical writer and editor, freelance book editor, and tap dancer, which we'll talk about, of course. She's originally from Boston, and I want to welcome Marcy, Sue, and Arlene to Word by Word. Thank you, Gil. So, tell us what you will be doing at the book festival, and then we'll get into your books and what you do. Who wants to go first? Raise your hand. I'll start since I'm close to you, Gil. (laughs) I'm going to do a talk with Michelle Anna Jordan, Mm -hmm. and we're going to present our books independently of one another, and we might have a little bit of crosstalk. But Michelle is one of the most prolific cookbook authors I know, and she's an academic, really, in the food world. I just adore her. She'll be talking about her new book, Vinaigrettes, but I'm a collector of her books, so I'm an honor to be with her on that stage. Arlene. I will be doing the Best Little Grammar Workshop ever. It's part of the Redwood Academy, um, sponsored by Red- Redwood Writers. They will be doing half-hour uh, workshops all day. I believe mine is at 3.15, and we will be talking about the biggest grammar goofs and problems. The biggest grammar goofs. And Sue olson McCullough, you're doing the Woman in Suspense panel. Yes, that's right. We're, we're going to talk about special challenges uh, for female authors in the suspense genre and also for their female characters. Mm-hmm. And I've got three award-winning authors coming up for it. Right. That's because the, the classic uh, children's novels about girls, the the ones who solved mysteries. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, yes, yes, Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew a... <laughs> was written by two men, I understand. I, I think it was, wasn't it a team of authors over I many just heard, years? It I was just heard uh, women it was and a, men. It was a team, and when she was passed it? away, they, Not really sure. they kept writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but we never know, right? When we read the book and we read about Kinsey Milhone, we assume that the writer is female, but who knows, right? There's it's just that she's, a, she's only got three letters left in the alphabet, you know. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sue Grafton, yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So who else is on the uh, the group with you? It's Robin Bursell. Yes, I have Robin Bursell, and she has a protagonist that's a female FBI forensic artist, mm-hmm. which sounds fascinating. And I have Julia Blackwell, who has 
two mystery series, one with a witch who solves mysteries and one with a female general contractor who restores historic homes. So it's If These Walls Could Talk right. type thing. Right. And then I have a debut novelist named Gigi Pandian, and her main character is a history professor that's been described as a female Indiana Jones. Does she get to wear the hat and have a whip as well? Yeah. Well, I will have to ask Gigi when we have her okay. up here for the panel. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. So how did you get to be known as the grammar diva, Arlene? I named myself. Um, <laughs> well, okay. Well, the grammar girl is taken. Right. And she's a lot more famous than I am. And I believe I, I wanted to do something with the grammar, something for my blog, although it's not the name of my company. And I haven't, I used to be called the Jazz Diva. I've used Jazz Diva for many years as an email address. Not because I sing jazz, but I was attempting to play jazz piano several years back. So I've used Jazz Diva. So I looked up Grammar Diva, thought that had a good ring to it. It was taken, of course, so it has to have the in front of it. Aha. Uh-huh. So when you look it up, it's the Grammar Diva. It is the Grammar Diva. C O M dot com? My oh, website is webs- actually Big Words 101. Okay. <laughs> the Grammar Diva. I'm going to let every one of you have a chance to mention your website on air, so this is yours. Let's say that again. Bigwords101.com. Okay, good. And there you're going to find all kinds of fancy little, what I guess we'll call tricks. Now, let's open your book to the, the start, and where we, we're talking about right here the best grammar book ever, and where you talk about nouns. And I love, you've got a little trick there, which Marcy will love because she, short, she loves short little pieces Fun of facts. things. Fun facts. And you know what I'm talking about? How to tell when it's a noun? She says, well, do I say that there? Yes, you do. Helpful hint. You yes. can put the word, you can put an article before it. You can put a, and, or the. So if you a, can put a, and, or the. It is a noun. The, However, right. it does not always work with proper nouns, such as. George Washington. A George Washington. Well, it is a George but you, Washington. And it is the there, George Washington that's also. That's right. That's right. Because there have been many George Washingtons over the years. As opposed to verbs, where you can put to. So you wouldn't say to George Washington because it's not an action. Except Although it probably will be soon because everything else is yeah. <laughs> being made into a verb. Well, right. That kind of brings us into yeah. something that I wanted to talk to you about because it seems to me my, – my wife's a teacher just retired. And she was teaching uh, junior high and her biggest bugaboo was this what we call text writing, you know, which comes into your schoolwork. Yes, it does. So you must have some thoughts on that. I don't like it because I am a... (laughs) How could I guess? I am a rather right-wing grammarian. I may not be right-wing anything else, but I've been called a grammar hawk rather than a grammar dove. It is troublesome um, to use a, a U instead of Y-O-U. And just the shortcuts that aren't even text, but things like gonna, Mm -hmm. woulda, Mm -hmm. shoulda, Mm -hmm. (laughs) coulda are very annoying. And a small I instead of a capital I for the pronoun. 
Right. It's all I, falling apart. I am now paralyzed when I'm going to send Arlene an email. <laughs> well, you can just pretend you're E coming. So do an all lowercase, right? I mean, even ending a sentence in a preposition, that'd probably, like, ruin your that's day. That's okay. No, that's okay oh, with that's me. Okay? That's okay? That's oh, okay. I don't know. mind that. Sometimes she actually that, writes about that in oh, her book. She? Yeah, that, Sometimes to avoid it sounds really awkward. Yeah, right. I agree. So I'm going to ask the question, and, and you are the mother of teenage daughters, right? Yes, that's yes, correct. Yes. So I'm going to ask Sue a question. Do you have any thoughts about do your, do your kids text? They do text. Oh, absolutely, all the time. And does it show up in their homework? Um, you know, my kids, I have a master's in English, and mm-hmm. um, I, my kids have really good vocabularies. <laughs> they got their built-in grammarian, yes. And they, you know, so, the, so they, and they also, they know how to play me. So they they drop big vocabulary words into their conversation all the time, and they know I love that. Mm-hmm. Usually, when they're asking me for something like the car keys, <laughs> um, so so they hide their bad habits from me. Right, and you teach them, or you you encourage them to write correctly in the first place. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. They're both really good writers. They uh, so I, I I can't take all the credit, but I am really proud of them. <laughs> so Marcy, you became. Did you write anything before snacks that? I never, ever wrote, and I was stunned to get a book deal, I'll be honest. I, uh, <laughs> I had my book originated from a radio feature I did when I was doing the Food Guy and Marcy right. show. Right. And if you want to keep somebody through the break, you don't say, let me tell you how to keep your strawberries fresher longer. You might tune out. But if I say, why should you take a bath with your strawberries? Hopefully you would stay tuned and get the answer. Mm-hmm. And so I had the radio feature, and one of my mentors and frequent guests on my show was Molly Katzen, right. who's a James Beard award-winning author and, of course, the iconic Moosewood cookbook. Yes. And she said, you know, Mars, I don't want to – really don't want to interfere, but I think Snacks should be a book. And I'm like – I'm looking at her, staring at her, saying, you're saying I should write a book? And she offered to introduce me to her agent, mm-hmm. and she did. I wrote the proposal for him, and he sold the book to HarperCollins. So it was really all along serendipity. And the paralyzing part, again, just like writing to Arlene and making sure I would spell it Y-O-U in in capital I, was 50,000 words and 50 original recipes. Having never written before, I just did not know really how to start that process other than lock myself in a cave (laughs) <laughs> say no to everything until 6 o'clock at night and just start working. And mm-hmm. that was my yeah. process. What really surprised me was that, at least with my editor, I didn't write two or three chapters and send it to her to say, do you like it? Any feedback? Right way, wrong way? Nothing. Zero communication. You know, I had to put it all out there and send the manuscript in its entirety and wait two weeks to get the response, whether she liked it or not or was even going to accept it. That was So you wrote the whole book before she took it? Well, at least with my contract, you do get an advance, right. but you don't get the second part, the big chunk, until they accept the manuscript. Right. If they reject it, then you either have to fix it to their specification or return the advance. I was pretty sure they weren't going to reject it, but there's always that per- person in your mind saying, you can't write, you can't write, you stupid idiot, get back on the radio. You know. Right. Right. So it was a long time to, to get that answer, but then they loved it, and so here I am. Well, good. Let me let me. This is a very. We're going to talk about the organization of the book, and I'm glad to hear that's how the process went because it's quite. Um, it's not what I expected when I picked it up because uh, you know Rebecca Rosenberg gave it to me and said you've got to read this. This is fun, which it is. Thank it you. is fun. It is a fun read. It is what I call a bathroom read. It is short. <laughs> it depends on you know wherever yep. length of time one spends. You can, pick it, spend, you can time, pick it up right? anytime and mm-hmm. anywhere in the book, and. Um, 
it's not – I've read it from beginning to end, which I do not recommend for anybody because if you're like me, you're constantly going to the web to see, well, that's interesting. Let's think about that and look up even more information about that, like, you know, where the – Caesar salad. Did it really come from Tijuana? It really came from yeah. Tijuana. It really never had anchovies in it. Yeah. And it was meant to eat with your fingers, not to cut up. Mm. And so, and Julia Child writes about that in her book too, but I think it's a really fun appetizer at a strolling party to have the full romaine leaves, the nice ones. Right. And you just take one leaf with a little bit of dressing and you don't have to have a fork and knife and bowl to, to enjoy it. Well, you're supposed to make the Caesar dressing at the table. That was one of the parts. Yeah, of yeah, the original was at the yeah. table and it was a stretcher. He didn't have have enough food for this big crowd that came in, but he had a lot of romaine, right. so he kind of made a sideshow or a table sideshow of making the salad to stretch out the time that they were waiting and to make the food go further. And what was interesting I found out and did not know, and I love Caesar salad, with anchovies, by the way, and is that you got it on a whole romaine leaf. It, mm-hmm. You picked it up and, the, you know, just ate it you like a ate snack, fingers, like a absolutely. taco kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't chopped up the way we most of us get it now. That's right. And I don't, you know, I do chop mine up. But as I said, for an appetizer or hors d'oeuvre without an S, which I can get into or, or lean with. <laughs> I never, can't spell hors d'oeuvre. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> never, right. Probably yeah. never an S. But yeah. interestingly, when you were talking, I mean, I, I don't have a, a master's degree and I'm not a grammarian or a grammar diva, but I was raised with grandparents that had four dictionaries, one from each decade in their living room. And the, my love of words come from them. And what they played Scrabble every night. And if that word wasn't in the dictionary, it didn't play. It didn't. Their Scrabble dictionary was for losers, you know, because they had kind of made up words or words that had become accepted. So, you know, I just absolutely adore everything about the words. And hors d'oeuvre technically doesn't have an S. It means out of work, outside of work. You don't go outside of works. It's outside of work. So, being, I realize there's an exception because it's been used with an S for so long that it's okay. But if you're going to be truly accurate, you never put an S at the end, whether you're having one canopy or 5,000. Mm-hmm. I keep getting mine underlined when I type it. <laughs> so, it, you know, word is trying to tell me stuff. Let's go. This is a fun segue because I read a little few excerpts from your novel in progress, Sue. Yes. And you were talking about Vasabred. Yes. And other things that are unique to Sweden or, you know. Scandinavia. Scandinavia, yeah. right. And tell us a little about your culture, I don't know, shock when you moved there uh, as far as foods are. As far as food? Food. Oh, well, um, you know, I, I have to say that I'm from uh, a Scandinavian family. I was born in Minnesota. My maiden name is Olson. My mom's maiden name is Swanson. So I've got a lot of Scandinavian blood. And uh, for holidays, we always had pickled herring. Right. And I just didn't know it was Scandinavian. But I thought know it was to Scottish. Avoid lutefisk, right? Uh, yeah, I've never had lutefisk. <laughs> it's a good idea. But so I thought, you know, pickled herring. It's a Scottish, Scottish treat. Um, and we went to Sweden, and we went around Christmas time, mm-hmm. and uh, went to. They have a beautiful tradition in Sweden called a Yule board and board smorgasbord, uh, where it's this big selection of foods and they do it in honor of Christmas and it's traditional so there's a, a there's a boar's head with an apple in the mouth and there's uh, uh, lots of salmon not much vegetables potatoes but not much in the way of vegetables because it's winter mm-hmm. can't get vegetables in Sweden in the winter but uh, what they have that you start with is just like uh, 50 different kinds of pickled herring 
And it was just so surprising to me to discover that pickled herring is a Scandinavian dish. And not only that, but they really, really get into the variety of things that you can do with with pickled herring. There's mustard-flavored pickled herring and honey-flavored pickled herring and lavender-pickled herring and (laughs) beet-pickled herring. And, you know, it's just – and you just try all these different flavors of pickled herring. That's right. Well, you talk about uh, the food in, in because you begin your book. Is this how you're going to continue to begin it? It was with this letter that's never sent. Yes. Written by the teenage daughter who's yeah. been forced to move to another country. Uh-huh. And she's writing to her friend back home. Mm-hmm. And she's telling about the very strange things that she's been forced to eat or at least are served. <laughs> now, whether she eats them, I don't know. Well, yes, her her dad is a is an explorer type, and he likes new things. But her mom is a, a homebody, and so she likes things to stay the same. And so when they move, that creates a conflict between the parents, where the dad is just like, "Wow, look at all this new wonderful stuff! Let's mm-hmm. just do it all." And the mom is like, "You know, let's give." Melissa, Melissa's their daughter, a 13-year-old. Let's give Melissa a little transition time here. Let's not pull the entire rug all out from under her. So there's a there's a conflict going on there that actually escalates. But, um, yeah, they do talk about the, the dad is trying to serve uh, little foods for breakfast to mm-hmm. Melissa and meets with some opposition from the mom. So, On the same foods front, this is going to be odd to Arlene. Let's talk about regional differences because you – how long were you in, in – I'm lived? still thinking about the pickled herring. I know because I only, I only think of it as three different ways because you get the one with the sour cream, right? Y- yes. And then you get right. the and one the, without the sour cream yes. and then you get the one with the, the – is it dill? Yes, that's right. Yeah, they yeah. do like dill. They right. like so those are the only three I know. Yeah, you just have to go to Sweden in the winter time <laughs> and expand your horizons. No, see, mine were Norwegian, but it's close. Same enough. thing. I'm Jewish, and my grandmother ate Had pickled, pickled herring. herring. I thought it is was a Jewish so? food. Yes, I always I think thought it's a it was way a to Jewish preserve. Marcy, this is your fish. next book: yeah. pickled herring around the world. No. <laughs> I wish I cared for it. Then it would be a lot more uh-huh. fun to write that book. She likes to write things without anchovies in them, <laughs> Exactly, the or herring. So, well, that's – or herring. Because you don't have anchovies in your green goddess dressing either. I do not. But actually, the original green goddess did not have anchovies. See, these are all these – what wow. is it? The anchovy board telling us Well, to be fair, there are trace amounts of anchovies in Worcester sauce. That's true. So well, there's that with the Caesar salad. Because but, it's yeah. garum. Right. Right? Yes, sir. We, do you, does everyone know what that is? Ah, see, when you were a Roman soldier, you were given you were given by law three things by, under contract. You had to have new sandals every six months. You had to have wine, which was actually watered wine, and it was a way to keep the you know the water from having bad things in it. And you had to have garum, which was a anchovy paste mixed with olive oil and citrus, wasn't it? Not sure about that. Well, no, it's anchovy paste. Yeah. That's all I know. Yeah, well, you know more than me. You want to write a book about food? Well, it's all that <laughs> trivial stuff. That'd be fun. We'll write a book about food together from the male and female perspective. I mean, you don't know Guy Fieri, so you know you couldn't get any information from him, right? <laughs> you know, I have to give a guy a tremendous shout out. You know, he we would sit down and record our show. He'd have no idea. He stayed. Tremendously loyal to the Food Guy and Marcy show, despite having three shows on the Food Network. So as the producer, I would choose all the topics and do all the research. He would sit down, you know, like we are across the mic, and I'd say, hey, we're talking about 
Kung Pao Chicken today, and he has this crazy food encyclopedia. Right. He knows so much about food that he never gets credit for when he's eating at diners, drive-ins, and dives. Yeah. Or so, yeah, he's a, he's a great resource for me. He taught me a lot. He really did. Yeah. He does know a lot, and it's not just Mirepoix, which he manages to mention in almost every episode. Have you noticed that? Oh, it's Mirepoix. It's uh, celery, carrots. America and, apparently and, needs to learn what Mirepoix is. I don't know. So tell me about what was the – we were back with Arlene. We kind of got off of that. I was going to talk about regional. So you were born and raised in the Boston area in Leeds. Yes. And then when did you come west? Decades later. Decades Four. later. Four, Four decades, decades later. later. So you had really quite distinct – you could notice the West Coast accent, I guess we'll call it. Is that a fair mm, I really, mode of speech? I really couldn't. Uh-huh. It, they sounded normal to me. And Chicago But too. when I go back to Boston, I sure can hear that. Well, <laughs> it depends on which part of Boston too. When you're in South Boston, it's much more pronounced. Yeah, I've been North back Shore. just to, I guess, the city of Boston right. and – I didn't notice it as much when I lived there. Now it's just – it just so rings is, out. I'm going to ask a regional question about gra- grammar. Are there differences that are regional? Or do you use the – There are know. differences in some words. Right. That's you know, what I'm talking we, about grammar. We use Where purses the comma here goes, purses and they of use pocketbooks. Right. They drink soda. In- I guess instead of pop, it's not really pop here. It's pop some places, but it's I think soda it's in there. the Midwest. Yeah. Pop yeah. is yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah. Soda yeah. pop. Right. Yeah. I can't think of anything else. It's very interesting. Yeah. So where does our grammar come from? Because it's distinctive from British grammar. It is. Actually, there are, there are differences. Sometimes I'll do a blog or I'll do a post and then the – but it's not – I'll get replies, oh, it's not that way in Britain. And you spell it with an O-U too, <laughs> right. Yes. We put the quotation marks, you know, before the period in Britain. It's the right. opposite here. Unless you're using – see, that's another thing. I write uh, AP style so because I write for newspapers. You do the same thing, Marcy. So it's a different style than um, what Frank's – what was it? The two – Strunk and White. Strunk and White, and white right. Yeah. yeah. So people will write to me and say, by the way, that's wrong. And I'll say, right, have to write back and say, I'm sorry. That's what's the accepted format in newspapers. So then people notice that kind of thing. Do they, are you, I don't deal much with style. Style yeah. is um, – Well, it's where, for instance, where the period goes, whether it's before or after at the Although end of the usually sentence. in this country, it's pretty standard. It's, grammatical and punctuation things are pretty standard no matter – what style guide you're using. Okay. Same kind of thing for you, Marcy. Now, you were born and raised in Southern California? Mm-hmm. Right. San Fernando Valley. San Fernando Valley. And I guess you would call that a homogenized American. That's nice. That a, <laughs> nice way, way of putting it. Uh, food choices. Sure. Yeah. Great food in L.A. Right. But interestingly, they do not award Michelin stars in Los Angeles. At all? At Ooh. all. They have not deemed it worthy, apparently, of stars. New York, Chicago, San Francisco, but not Los Angeles. And wh- wow. What is the political reason for that? I, I really don't know, but my a friend of mine, Daniel Kwa, who has two Michelin stars, um, Daniel Kwa, excuse me, Daniel Patterson from Kwa in San Francisco and has two Michelin stars, told me that, that they do not award them there. So that was yeah. my source. It's a good source, but I don't know the reason why. See, that's part of your new book right now. Look <laughs> I think up. I've got five books going here. Uh, <laughs> <No>. Herrings, we're <laughs> writing a word book. I'm going <laughs> to. That's right. So tell me when – so you came north. Uh, you were a producer for 
someone famous for a while. Yeah, Is that a good was, way to put it? Yeah, I was uh, the Smothers Brothers, associate producer of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Not the one in the 60s because I was barely alive, but the one that we did in 88 and 89. Right. They were series They're of specials. Reprise. Yes, yes. With yes. The so I was, yeah, film school at UCLA. Yeah. I was raised in the, the business and Los Angeles in the television business, but I always wanted to be in the wine business when I was down in Los Angeles. So after I graduated from UCLA film school, where the big treat was to get a 750 milliliter bottle of anything <laughs> as opposed to Gallo Hardy Burgundy in the jug, you know, mm. I called Davis and asked about the enology degree. I had no idea. I was very naive that there was so much science involved. And as a fine arts major, I did not have that science. So I gave up my dream of becoming a winemaker, although now, thankfully, thanks to Snow Estate, we have related degrees, mm-hmm. you know, in wine mm-hmm. that do not necessitate all that science. Uh, but when I married my husband, he already had a 40-acre vineyard planted, and we have a winery or had a winery. We've stopped making wine. And so my dream came true. When I left television, I got to do my second favorite thing, which is wine. So you're just selling the grape juice? We just sell our grapes. We are, the, um, I believe, the largest contributor to Airwood's Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. And that's the most of your grapes are cabs? Um, All of our grapes are cabs now. Hillside, and we were certified organic Mm. in 2003. Mm -hmm. They used to be the Smothers Brothers uh, Winery on uh, Highway 12 on the right there. Well, that was ours. When Dick started the winery in the early 70s in Santa Cruz, and it was just Dick's. He called it Smothers Brothers, and he grew it to about 50,000 cases. But the problem was people thought it was Larry Moe and Curly Cuvée. You know, they just didn't think that Smothers Brothers wine was serious. So when Dick wanted out of the winery, Tom and I bought it. We always had the grapes, but right. we bought the winery. Made wine with winemaster Richard Arrowwood until 2004 when I finally figured out it sure is a lot better to buy wine than to make it. You know, it's just really <laughs> difficult and expensive. And unless you've got a marketing team out there mm-hmm. selling your wine. So now we're just growers, and I love that. Yeah, we had Mar- uh Bonnie Harvey and Michael Houlihan in here. They've done a one. I assume you've seen their book. No, which book? Oh, it is called. Let me see if I can remember what it is. It's called um, The Barefoot Spirit. Oh, I look. And that. you've got to look for it. It's really fascinating. It's, it's lots of anecdotes about how they accidentally became winemakers <laughs> because of they were collecting a debt. Seriously, and the debt was paid in uh, grape juice. In big stainless Why didn't steel I think tanks. About well, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's now the biggest selling wine brand in the United States. But uh, fun book, so I'm, I'm suggesting everyone. In fact, that's one of the things I'm going to recommend that people look at when I'm on the panel at uh, Sonoma at the uh, Sonoma County Book Fair, Thank and you. we've got a group of people who are going to suggest their favorite books of last year, and that's one of my selections. Thank so, you. So, fun thing about wine. So let's talk about. You wrote the book. You got the whole thing done. Was it in this format? The aisle by aisle idea? No, that was another part of the torture. I uh, <laughs> I sent. Now this the- is this Sue. Are you listening carefully here? There has she to be said torture. She's in this first process there has of getting to be the, the Although it's different, and as I understand it, in fiction manuscripts, you have to be a hundred percent completed before you can turn it in. Yes. But nonfiction, Complete spec. Yes, yes nonfiction. Right. You can talk about it. It's more like a proposal. Mm-hmm. So in my proposal, I had a lot of these snacks or anecdotes that I had culled from my radio feature, uh, and. But I didn't have it organized. And, he, and my agent, Steve Troa, kept saying, you've got to organize it. I said, I don't want to organize it. It's like Gil says. You just pick it up wherever you want, you know, although we didn't know each other. I really meant that. Sort of like a pantry. When you look for a snack and you open up the pantry or mm-hmm. the refrigerator, you don't know what you're going to grab at or what fridge, time. Same, or the I fridge. I thought refrigerator the same way. Yeah. So I wanted to leave it loose like that. And he said, absolutely not. So I spent a lot of time trying looking at other books. And 
literally walked into Safeway on Highway 12 in Calistoga, and I was looking for the bread aisle, and I looked up, and I saw bread pancakes syrup on the aisle marker above me, and I said, that's it. I will organize this book by aisles. So you find the snacks about produce in the produce aisle and the refrigeration aisle and the meat aisle and so on and so on. Right. And that is part of the fun of it because it helps you to shop too. I'd like to think that they're food fun facts, but it will help you be a better shopper as well. I think it will. I mean, for one thing, you'll know how to pick an artichoke by the sound. Right. A dog's toy and an artichoke both squeak. So if your artichoke isn't squeaking, don't buy it. Put it by your ear and squeak How to pick out a watermelon. I don't think – do I have that in the book? No, but I do. But uh, I how do you pick out your watermelons? Yeah, <laughs> By the sound. Same thing. There's a lot of sound things. out. There. Do you remember Tony Tantillo used to be on TV? I do. The, the Green Grocer? Green Grocer. Yes. And he used to give us all kinds of tips like you do. And uh, some of them I remember, and one of them is how to thump a watermelon. So yeah, I think and for, smell a what is it? Uh, you know, like a muskmelon or a, a cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. Yeah, that's the same thing. Actually, they're not cantaloupe. That's the they're only thing I know is to yeah. smell a cantaloupe. Right. Maybe Arlene can speak to that because for me, the fun of my book was the mnemonic devices, where you instead of saying. Uh, for instance, why should you teach your steak to tell time? That's how I say how to make better cross marks on mm-hmm. your steak, mm-hmm. you know, so With that it's easier toothpick. to remember. Yeah. 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 See, I read your book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of, of all kinds of advice now that I'm trying out, which is one of the things I will suggest that anyone who picks up the book again. This is Marcy Smothers, Snacks, Adventures, and Food, Aisle by Aisle. And if you are a cook or even just a weekend think-about-cooking type of person, you're going to find something in here uh, that you can whip together in a short period of time or, you know, do something, that's, you know, plan for days and weeks in advance. And uh, I think you'll find it's fun and helpful. There's some – there's recipes. There's a listing of the recipes in the back of the book if you're trying to remember where on earth that – uh, you know, that story about how to, to cook shrimp was. Uh, yeah, you can look recipe. up the recipes by the aisle or you can look the recipe under the type of meal it is, a snack, right. an entree, right. a main dish. Which is or, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you. And there's little codes as you go through the book. I don't Who figured out that you have a book designer do this? Oh, sure. I had a tremendous team at Harper One and Harper Collins, yes, right. in the book design. And I wasn't supposed to be on the cover of the book. It was supposed to be the shopper icon that's on the table of content, contents page. Ah. Uh, but because the book was selling, thankfully to Safeway has it 900 stores, Lucky Hat carries it and Rayleigh's carries it, uh, that they wanted to have me, my photograph on the cover and that's why I'm sitting in a shopping cart actually at G&G Market in Petaluma. <laughs> Shout out to Jody Lau who let right. me take over the entire produce section and sit on her pineapples. So, <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> wasn't intended to do that. but oh, okay. There, that's our, that and artichokes, that wouldn't be my intro. <laughs> There's a famous picture of Marilyn Monroe wearing almost nothing uh, sitting on top of uh, Artichokes in Casterville because she was the Ar- yeah, artichoke, the artichoke queen. queen. Yeah. Well, I need to take a station break right here so we can just uh, get to that. Uh, you are listening to what has become an annual tradition on KRCB's Word by Word Conversations with Writers, a show featuring writers who are part of the current year's Sonoma County Book Festival. Tonight's guests are food expert and radio show host Marcy Smothers, mystery novelist Sue Olson McCullough, and grammarian Arlene Miller. All three guests and your word-by-word host, Gil Manser, will be doing presentations at different times during the SoCo Book Fest to be held Saturday, September 21st on the campus of the Santa Rosa Junior College. So stay tuned right here for more fun with Marcy, Sue, Arlene, and Gil on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. So back to Sue. We've got a mystery in which starts off with a letter written by a 13-year-old, is she? 
Yes, that's right. Um, to someone in the United States, she is in Sweden. She yes. does not like it much, and she is planning something. You want to share with us what she's planning to do? Um, well, she is her. You know, as I mentioned before, her parents are getting on each other's nerves, and there's an increasing amount of strife. Uh, and I, I suppose that's how the parents are dealing with the, the just the pressure of new, moving to a new place and a new culture and everything. Uh, but Melissa gets fed up because she's in the middle of this this strife, and she also is a, a person who loves games. She just is very clever, and she loves to create games, and she plays games with her parents. So uh, she decides that she is going to try to. Get her parents to remember what their priority is, and you know, being thirteen, it's her. She wants to be the priority, so she's going to run away from home. And she is, but it's a, it's a clever game. It's supposed to be fun, uh, and she has created a sort of a scavenger hunt based on the children's book, The Runaway Bunny, which is their the family's favorite book. It's mm -hmm. a book that they read when Melissa was a baby. Good thing she didn't try Good Night Moon. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. So Melissa sort of concocts this plan and she uh, selects these famous locations in Stockholm and hides these little tokens at each of these locations. And she chooses locations based on the plot line of the runaway bunny. So um, the – Okay. The, I'm trying to remember the runaway bunny. The first one I believe is a fish. That's Right. And so the, the mother says, I'll be a fisherman and catch you. Yes, There's the little, this wonderful picture of the, the, the bunny as a fish. <laughs> yes, the baby underwater. Right. Which yeah. if a mom looks at that picture, immediately conjures up sort of a drowning thing. So can you uh, refresh my memory? What's the, what are the other things that happen to this bunny? What are the places that this, does it go? Well, um, now I don't know if I can get them right. Um, there have to be I know the first three. Okay. He becomes good. a fish. And she becomes a fisherman, and then he becomes a rock on a high mountain, and she becomes a mountain climber, mm -hmm. and then he becomes a flower in a hidden garden, and she becomes a gardener. Uh -huh. And my book's title is Fish, Rock, Flower. Right. So uh, Melissa, the character, selects um, a bridge in downtown Stockholm. Can, for, is it possible for you to use the runaway bunny in your title? Um, I don't know. Because if Perhaps. you said fish, rock, flower, colon, the runaway <clears throat> other bunny mystery, I think people would know what you immediately what you're talking about. Uh -huh. Otherwise, it's you know it's somewhere other. It sounds like a Japanese poem or something. It's a mystery. Yeah. Well, anyway, just a <laughs> thank marketing you. question. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So what? Yeah. So what does she do for the for the fish part? Let's share that. Well. So here's the thing. When I came up with the idea for this story, um, I thought, you know, it's a crazy idea, really crazy idea. I wonder if you can fish in downtown Stockholm. You know, Stockholm has a lot of channels running through it. It's, you know, it's one of those Venice of the North type cities. There's a lot of water in Stockholm. Mm -hmm. So I went on uh, the Internet and did a search on fishing in Stockholm. Well, that's and, a good place you know, to start. Sure enough. You can fish off the bridges in downtown Stockholm. So I thought, well, okay, that's a miracle. Let's go with that. So she, uh, Melissa picks a bridge that is of some significance to her and her parents, mm -hmm. and she hides a token um, on this bridge. 
and then she's expecting them to be able to figure out where it is and find it. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And that's, you know, step so one. So we, we've got to see what happens here as she goes along. Of course, there's something sinister which is going to occur, which I won't share with our listeners. They're going to have to – or do you want to do that? Well, I mean, it happens pretty early on okay. in the book. Okay. So, I mean, the, the scenario is the parents are supposed to go to these various locations and they're supposed to work together and find their, you know, their harmony as a couple – through this task that the because child is putting Because they're having through. difficulty with marriage and right. as well as it's they're, not just because of the move. Right. right. Exactly. So uh, so that's the scenario. Uh, but, you know, it's a suspense book. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is Melissa, she's staying in an apartment that belongs to the mother of a friend of hers from school. The mother is out of town. So conveniently there's this empty apartment. But she's 13 years old, and she's trying to live alone in a major metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens? I mean, 13-year-old kids need their parents. So she's got this key, and she loses the key. So after the second night in the apartment, she has nowhere to stay, and she can't get in touch with the friend. She's had to leave her cell phone at home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And she uh, – ends up spending the night with a group of street children in Stockholm. And, you know, this is March. The book is set in winter. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not a situation where you can spend the night outside. So she takes up with this group of kids. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And when Melissa decides, okay, enough of the game. My parents didn't find me. It's time for me to go home. She finds that the kids won't let her leave. Fortunately, it's not a Henning Mankell. <laughs> no, but it does have kind of a brooding tone yeah. because that's Stockholm in the winter. Right. It's just, a, right. gosh, it's a haunted place. Cold. Uh-huh. So, Arlene, how did you decide that a book was another grammar book, I guess? Because, you know, there's all these classics that have been around for 80 years plus, right? And then the new ones that are done by every uh, publisher, you know, who puts out school book editions each year for the, you know, to be sold to the different uh, school districts, right? I didn't think about it at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Probably wise, yes. You know, I didn't think about any of their books. It came from being an editor for years, Mm -hmm. and then when I became a teacher, I saw people made the same mistakes over and over again. And I said, gee, I think I'll write a book. And just talk about or concentrate on all the major mistakes. Mm -hmm. Seemed like a good idea to me. I didn't think about any other book. I said, well, probably nobody's done it exactly that same way before. And I did an outline for it. And then it sat for a year or two. And then I wrote it. And I don't remember writing it. I just kind of hold myself up after work every day and finally said, I'm going to write this thing. And there it was. So the question is, did you write it aisle by aisle? Because what, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware. Have you seen Marcy's book? There are similarities of structure, which hmm. only would be noticed by someone who happened to have the three of you on at the same time <laughs> and happened to be reading you know, your books the same week, is that – just as she goes from aisle to aisle, you go from different parts of the sentence and the and the paragraph and the et cetera, et cetera, and look at each of the segments of it, little parts of it, and then give us interesting, I think, ways to remember what's correct. I haven't looked at the book in a while. Ah, um, I can okay. tell you my second book is alphabetical, alphabetically <laughs> set up by issue. 
Uh, the first one, I had been teaching already when I wrote it for a while. So I think um, the seventh grade grammar book probably was an influence as far as the setup. Right, I right. did it a little bit differently, but I started at the beginning with the parts of speech. Mm-hmm. Figured you need to know that before you know anything else. Mm-hmm. And then the parts of a sentence, subjects, objects, because you kind of need to know that. And then you put the words together in phrases and clauses and different kinds of sentences. Then I went on to things you shouldn't do and common mistakes. All right. I keep seeing things on the Redwood Writers. You know, we get things from the club on and off, and they keep mentioning that your book has been picked up and mentioned and very favorably by different groups around the world. It has done really well. Um, I think it's probably the title. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the Idiot's the Guide color, to Grammar, right? And the color. There are several colleges using it, and colleges that I have never heard of and are not around here, and I never approach them, I probably should market to them. And I looked up, there's a website where you can look up which libraries in in the country or the world have your book. Mm-hmm. And all these libraries that I never heard of somehow have it. And it has been selling for an independently published book really well. Good. So, Marcy, you, you, you mentioned that uh, your book is in, is it Sa- the Safeway stores? Safeways, yes. Rayleigh's and Lucky's. Okay. Which is, a, of course, a different where place for books to be, but a logical place for books aisle by aisle to be. Yeah, I totally looked out on that one. Right. <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> did Did you get consulted in the marketing? Are you going around? Were you one of those who did a big book tour? I know you were back in New York City. Had it anything to do with this? Harper. Again, I have a wonderful person, Melinda Mullen. I give a shout out to her at um, ah, Harper Collins, who yes. is my publicist. Right. But th- honestly, for a first time writer, it's really, really, really hard. I came out strong with a great article on Oprah.com and an article that I wrote for U.S. Weekend Magazine. So mm-hmm. that was fantastic. And I just did a show in ABC Los Angeles, the local television show that's been repackaged for the other ABC affiliates. But what I'm finding is even though I have radio experience and tons of that, I don't have any television experience. So to get booked on those big shows, you have to – it's that chicken egg thing. You have to have you know X amount of appearances before the biggies will take you like Good Morning America. Mm -hmm. But you might get placed on – the two. So that's what I'm waiting for to do in October. Hopefully, Rachel Ray. And I have to thank my friend Guy, who is helping me. He's a good friend of Rachel's and called and sent her the book. Oh, you mean they know each other, huh? Oh, they do shows together. Yeah, oh, you know that? Yes, oh, I don't I know. know you, apparently, you watch a lot of food television. Um, well, let's <laughs> More put than it this me. way it's on when I come into the room. Yes, and then I sit down and watch it. Yeah. yeah, so I am on it, you know, as, as long as I'm hoping to stretch this out through Christmas because I think it is a great Christmas gift. It's. You know, really appropriate for so many different people. So can keep that momentum going through Christmas, and then I'll, um, I'll, put, I'll let this one continue on and perhaps start a second book. So we'll see. But I wouldn't do that till next year. Right. So how much time did this take to put together? 18 months. All right. That's yeah. a significant – see, what I like to do here is in addition to talking to writers is to write about writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, you're doing that with your drafts, we'll say, with mm-hmm. your third or fourth version now. Yeah, I've been working on it for four years. Right. Oh, wow. And, um, right. Yeah. And Arlene, you said your book took a period of time to do. It did. I remember, I actually, thinking back now, remember I just typed and it was a mess. I just got the words out and then I went back and rewrote it. <laughs> oh, it, it wasn't exactly in perfect right. grammar then? No, it, no. it wasn't in the typos. <laughs> Lots of typos. It's these fingers. They have their own ideas, don't they? Yes. 
And that's why we're so glad that these little, you know, systems are set up on our computers that make those bleeps and change that misspelled word for us. Sometimes, Sometimes they, change they change them change really the wrong uh, way. Yes, yes. <laughs> I sent my first text and it was completely I have no idea it ended up some about the shooting gun and that wasn't what I typed at all. So <laughs> wondering about that. So and you took some time to do your snacks cuz I assumed what you would have done. I mean, this is, you know, like me if I were writing a book about interviewing Authors, I'd go back and go over my old shows and, you know, take excerpts from them. And you had a, uh, shall we say, a library of things I had a jump start, but that yeah. was only like about 20. To, I think I recorded 36 snacks, and I only used about See, 20 of those. It, yeah. So it was really only a short period of time as a, by the way, come back, we're going to talk about this kind of thing, not a... Not a yeah, the feature only aired for a very short amount of time, right. yeah, for about six months. But I went to the CIA, the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, twice for a week at a time and took classes. And that's where I started. You know, for instance, it, we would talk about how to tell the nappe. How do you tell when your reduction sauce is done? And the instructor said, well, you just um, – you could dip the spoon in it. Mm-hmm. And if it clings to the spoon, it's done. Or mm-hmm. you could take a clean surface, put the sauce on the plate – Run your finger through the middle of the sauce. If it starts running back together, it's not ready. If it stays on the other sides of the indentation, it is ready. It's good to go. And I started immediately Moses Red Sea, parting the Red Sea. And this is how the brain, you know, the process was working. So constantly, also at the CIA, one of the wounded warriors who was taking a group class there came up to me, Mark from Boston, and I thank him in the back of the book. And he said, Marcy, since you're taking this art and science of cooking class, can you tell me why you use shrimp shells on the battlefield to stop hemorrhaging? And I'm like, what you talking about, Willis? I mean, I really had no idea. And I started doing the research, and it's true. You know, the cytosan, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, mm-hmm. from the shrimp shells actually coagulates blood instantly. And that is what they use on the battlefield. So the snacks or the anecdotes came to me in many different ways. You know, when I told people I was writing a book, naturally they would say, like, I'm sure you have a tip. What's your favorite tip, Gil, that you would like to share with people about cooking or food? Um, well, my, my kids don't say that I don't uh, barbecue, that I grill. That's correct. And um, that's what I do because I want the meal prepared, you know, in under half an hour. It seems to me that one of the things that take a lot longer than that, I'm not the person to do it. So I like the fact that you had so many things in here that were, you know, shortened to the point under 20 minutes preparation time and, you know, on the table. And I love that. Thank you. So that's just me. You know, and I, love, I like to watch Guy when he goes and, you know, the diners, the drive-ins. We've been to several. We, got, we printed them out and made a tour to try to find a few of them, including one in the middle of the desert, which was a very strange place, but very good, Greek food. And... Um, I mean, you know, and my wife just retired, so this is what one of the things we're talking about doing. Let's let's pick out these uh, wonderful places to eat and go try these things that look so good. And boy, I'm tell you, I'm sold on pasta, homemade pasta. I'd love to visit every one of those restaurants where they do that. And I love pasta too, and that really was something that stunned me that you never add your salt. I hope Arlene and Sue, when you make your pasta, you're boiling the put the water in it, set it to boil. Do you put salt in the water? I do. Okay, I well, do. I did too because I call myself on on all the mistakes right. that I made. You should never put salt in at the beginning. It's not going to make the water boil any faster. It's really not unless you had tons and tons of salt, and then it would only be one degree. What you want to do is always add your salt after the water is boiling because that will give it the flavor for your pasta. If you put it in too soon, it's not going to be flavorful. So huh. always add your salt after the water is boiling. And you have a salt mentioned several times in the book. You might talk about some person – trying to remember the restaurateur who said to you, I don't put salt in because I want to, you know, taste it afterwards and then I can add it if I need it, but I can never take it out. 
Yeah, well, you have to be careful. Yeah, you have to be very heat. You add salt in layers, I think, is the point. You know, right. just a little bit, and then you let and taste it in a little bit. But you got to taste as you cook, you know. And I think that's something that I learned as a home cooker. I didn't really necessarily do that. I would – especially – I never wrote a recipe before this book, by the way, folks. I was following recipes. So I would follow the recipe, but I really never tasted it until it was on the table. I've learned through oh, really? the CIA. Yeah, and I didn't really taste I just followed the recipe and assumed they knew, you know, because they had a recipe that was in a cookbook. But what I've learned, whether you're following recipes or you're creating your own, you do need to taste as you go and you make adjustments before you set it down on the table. Otherwise, Padma's going to tell you to pack your knives and go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did everyone here have salt and pepper on the table when you grew up automatically? Yes, absolutely. The bad iodized stuff, too. Yeah, that's right. Because not only – I remember we had little teeny ones that when we'd have a group meal, there'd be like a dozen different sets of salt and pepper tables all around the table in front of everybody's plate. That was what you did. And I was the one who had to fill them up as a kid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. So – what was the thing that was the most – the biggest surprise when you were doing this book? What did you find out that surprised you the most other than the shellfish for the – In terms of the snacks? In terms of what – any information that you picked up. Wow. There are really – are so many. I think probably my favorite one is I am a pretty healthy eater. And my friends know how much spinach I eat. Whenever there's a recall, I must get 50 texts, don't eat spinach, you know, because they know I eat a lot of spinach. And what I learned through the research of my book was that the USDA has determined that spinach, after it's been harvested, continues photosynthesis if it is exposed to the continuous supermarket light. So while I used to be the one that would always go to the back to get the – Freshest bag of spinach with the you know the, the date furthest out. I have learned that you should always pick the spinach in the very front because it's getting all those extra nutrients and it's going to be way better than the one that sits in the back. Assuming I mean, that it's still crisp and nice, not floppy. Well, by yeah. the sell-by right. date, but I mean I'm I'm I, I am that person that's always reaching for the back oh, of too. every package, yeah. right? Yeah. But not with spinach. I always that's pick what the you one do with the milk containers. Yeah, they too. don't like that. Sometimes no. they have them all stacked on the floor to right. get to the one that's got the <laughs> in the very back. Yeah, but hand. that's 20 days later. I want that one. That's the last one. It makes longer. a difference. Although yeah. I guess with kids, it doesn't last that long. But my daughter doesn't drink milk and my son's at college. So. Right. So what was the most uh, challenging thing for you in your book, the gr- grammatically? What thing does people do that bugs you the most? Oh, there's many things. Now, I know, but I'm only asking for the – say the top two. I'm going to put you on the spot here. And it changes. Um, <laughs> right now, the use of myself in the wrong place. People don't know. People don't okay. know if it should be I or me, so they use myself. Me, myself, and I. Yes. Or they think myself sounds better, mm. sounds like they're educated, so they use it in the wrong place. Mm. They'll say, "Well, he gave he gave the the book to my friend and myself." Mm-hmm. Not right. You cannot use myself unless you start your sentence with "I." I did not know that. Well, myself. now you do. So yeah. You did not know that yourself. <laughs> I must be the subject to use myself in this sentence. I've got a question for you. I, I went online and got some uh, grammatical T-shirts. You know what I'm talking about? No, but I'd like one. Okay, here. Here's what it says. Oh, and, yes, I know that and one. And the first one is let's eat grandma <laughs> yes. or grandpa. And the next one is let's eat, comma, grandma or grandpa. Yes. yes. And then the, the commas save lives. I love that. <laughs> yes. There, are, there are, I saw a really good one. I don't remember what it was. 
darn, put you on the spot. That's why I did this so I'd remember. There was a great one on Facebook a day or two ago. It was the same thing with the commas and commas save lives. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love that. I think I'm going to make my own T-shirts. <laughs> so, Sue, what was the biggest shock when you moved – other than the, the darkness when you moved to Sweden for a family, mm-hmm. for a mother? Huh. That's a really interesting question. So in Sweden, the group is more important than the individual. Which is not true here. Which is the opposite of here. Mm-hmm. And so where, for example, when you go to write a resume in America, well, it comes easy to us because, you know, we understand that our unique set of qualifications are what you put in the resume and, you know, you can really – it's easy for us to sell ourselves. Well, in Sweden – their culture is such that they they actually don't think that way. So they have a very difficult time writing a resume and saying why they as an individual are so special and important. So, you know, in my book, the mother, when her child goes missing, she doesn't actually get the note that's supposed to start the scavenger hunt right away. So she thinks that Melissa has been abducted. And immediately she's into a cultural disconnect with the Stockholm police because in America, the individual is very, very important. But in Sweden, it's the group. So the Stockholm police are not going to stop everything they're doing and start looking for this one child. So there's this big conflict and it has to do with the different cultures, this sort of a culture clash there. And it was just very interesting for us as a family over there because my, we, I'm in marketing writing. That's what I do for money. And, and um, marketing just doesn't come naturally to the Swedes mm-hmm. because they just – they it goes against their, their cultural nature to uh, – they, they think of it sort of as boasting almost. And, um, so and that's not a good thing. Not in Sweden, no. Right. Right. Interesting. Well, I'm going to ask what I like to do uh, since you're all writers and what I like to do is ask people to share tips about writing for those who are listening who are writers themselves or who want to be writers. So who would like to go first? Tip for the writers that are hearing this. Well, I can only speak for myself, although I have read a lot of books about creativity, one of the best, The Art of Creativity by Brewster Gislin, edited by Brewster Gislin. And discipline seems to be the word that comes up all the time. You know, it's just a lot of self-discipline to sit down. And as I said earlier, to say no to things and not to be too disappointed with, because in my book, they're short little stories. I might check the word count, which I had to actually like give myself (laughs) word count days, because if I looked at the word count every day, I would just cry because some days I'd work at three or four hours and get 410 words. Mm -hmm. And other days you get 2,000. So for me, it was just discipline. Discipline. Good word. Arlene? Once you're disciplined and sitting there, get the words out. Don't strive for immediate perfection. Don't strive for perfection at all because sometimes good enough is good enough. Okay. Sue? Um, Mine is – when you for novel writers in particular when you when you find your your best idea for your book latch on to it and don't let it go and keep revising until the book that you've written does that idea justice 
I'd like you to share one more thing that you shared earlier with me, is the fact that you did not know how the book was going to end when you started it. That's true. So a lot of people sit down and they're told or go to classes where they're told, uh, write an outline, know where you're going, know what your characters, you know, do a character outline of how the, the people's attributes and such, and uh-huh. backstory of what set it all up, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't do that. I didn't. And it's so unlike me not to have done it because I'm such a structural kind of person. But with this, I did uh, what Arlene just recommended, which is I sort of uh, tied up my editor and shoved her into the closet, (laughs) and then I let it come out. Right. And once you've done that, then you can edit it, you can revise it, you can move things around, but you can't edit an empty page. You cannot edit an empty page. I like that thought. Right. Sue, Arlene, Marcy, thank you for being on Word by Word. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to what has become an annual tradition on KRCB-FM's Word by Word, Conversations with Writers, a show featuring writers who are part of the current year's Sonoma County Book Festival. Tonight's guests included food expert and radio show host Marcy Smothers, mystery novelist Sue Olson-McCullough, and grammarian Arlene Miller. All three guests and your Word by Word host, Gil Manser, will be doing presentations at different times during the SoCo Book Fest to be held Saturday, September 1st on the campus of the Santa Rosa Junior College. To help you plan what to do that day, Sue Olson McCullough will be chairing the Mystery Writers panel starting at 10.30 on the book panel stage, and panelists will have their books for sale. Marcy Smothers and KRCB's Michelle Anna Jordan will be presenting a morning food romp at 10.30 on the commencement stage, and she will be signing copies of her book, Snacks, Adventures in Food, Aisle by Aisle. I will be joining KRCB's Susan Swartz, Copperfield's Books buyer, Cheryl Cotelure, and Sonoma County librarian David Dodd to share our favorite book selections from last year on a panel called Sonoma County's Best Read on the book panel stage from 3 to 4, and we'll have my historical coming-of-age novel, The Marvelous Journals of Miss Virginia Pettengill, on hand for autographs. Arlene Miller will be giving a free workshop based on her popular The Best Little Grammar Book Ever as part of the Redwood Writers Academy beginning at 3.15, and she will be signing copies of her three very useful grammar books. The Book Festival offers something for readers and writers of all ages. Details can be found at socobookfest.org. Our studio engineer for tonight's Word by Word broadcast is Mark Fuller. Our program director is Robin Pressman. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I'm your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to tune in at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, October 2nd, when our word-by-word conversations with writers show will be a special Halloween Harvest broadcast. Until then, Marcy, Sue, Arlene, and I invite you to drop by, say hello, and get your books signed at this year's Sonoma County Book Festival on Saturday, September 21st at the SRJC campus.